if you could be here today. My lesson will lean very heavily on my family. And so I apologize to them, and it'll be personal. It may not be a sermon. I don't know. It is, I guess, a sermon, but it'll be personal, and my family will have to forgive me. But the subject that I'm talking about, I could not think of better examples. So that, that's very useful, but my family would want me to tell you, none of us are perfect. I will use them as examples, but that does not mean we have it all figured out or there's any perfection except in the first person or two that I will talk about. They are perfect. And so I have a story to tell. And you know what? I better remember to advance these slides or we're not having a story. I don't do this very often. All right, I have a story to tell. And, and it's a story about little Carson. And Carson happens to be over here. Carson and Caden. And Caden... Uh, there uh, over at Pinnock Park. And some of you why don't people know where that little park is about two or three years ago. I took them over there uh, to play on a Sunday afternoon. And there was a lot of kids there that day. Now I want you to notice something. <laughs> little Carson took his tools. And he was ready to go to work. But I don't know why he carried them, but he had a bunch of them with him. He had a little belt. had another picture. But I, when I, I gave uh, Jerry my slides, he said, you got 26 slides here. Jerry said, oh my goodness. These go by fast. But you see he has his little tools there. And he was playing in the park, and they were on the ground and up and down. And there was a bigger boy there, though, who was being a bully. And I saw the little boy. I was concerned about Caden because he was little. Carson, not so much, but the boy was bigger than him. And he was going around and shoving these other kids and seeing if he could terrorize them a little bit. And sooner or later, he got to Carson, and he shoved him. And Carson had to pick himself up off the ground. I thought, he's going to cry, and I'm going to have to go over and console that little boy. He did not. He got up and grabbed his hammer out of his toolbox. <laughs> and he headed for that little boy, and he was like this when the bigger boy saw him and deflected the blow, and when it came down, it kind of grazed Carson's own head. And I thought, he's going to cry, and I'm going to have to go console him. He did not. I walked up to him when I saw him headed back with that hammer, and I said, Carson, Hey, you got to stop this. He said, but Pop, that boy is being mean. And I said, yes, he's being mean. But that does not mean you can take a hammer to him. <laughs> and that little stinker looked me square in the eye and said, what about a wrench? <laughs> True story. So anyway, I said the only ones that were perfect that we'll talk about today are the little kids. And they are perfect. I probably can't read this. I hope I can read it here in front of me because I sure can't read that. It says, this scripture from Genesis chapter 1, our subject today is work. I started to put a slide up there with work spelled W-E-R-C-K that work is not a four-letter word. It is not. And on the subject of work, I can use my family as an example over and over. But in Genesis, God talked about work to whole the whole humanity all men and women, he said, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea the fowl of the air over every living thing that moves along the earth, upon the earth. And I, I underline those or highlight those words, 
subdue it, have dominion. You know, that is not the same. I've always been puzzled by that scripture because that's not the same as say, I've created you, human beings, my children, men and women, now go and live in harmony with nature. You know, that didn't really say that. And that strikes me because we might think he would say that. That's not what he said. Is, is the word subdue and gain dominion different than that? It really is. I think God had expectations. I have work for you to do. Go and do it. And he planned for us to work. He also said, by the sweat of your brow, you will feed yourself. That is, you're going to have to work to even eat. You might as well get used to it. Work is not a four-letter word. Uh, he also said, the one, and this was a scripture we had earlier, the one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the ones in need. Now, I put that up there because it says labor or doing something good with his own hands, your own hands. And when I think of those things, I think of my dad. We will talk about my dad. But to work with your own hands, many of you love to work with your own hands. And not just men, women too. Oh, where would we be without the work that the women do? And they don't call labor, labor for nothing, do they? So the women start out working a whole lot harder than the men. The Bible also says, and this in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. To me, that's also a powerful scripture. He says, this is not a vacation. This is not one long, extended good time. Whatever work you find to do, do it with all your might. There's a test. I'm watching. I'm judging. It says that too. Uh, so I want to tell you, little kids, here are the same ones. And we have four. I didn't bring a picture of all of them. I started to. because, But you know, grandparents are terrible about bragging on their grandchildren. But I'll show you those two again. Because little kids, I don't think, are born lazy. I actually think it's kind of like the language skills at a certain age. They can learn that faster than you can. They can learn three languages at a time. I really don't think they're born lazy. And these little guys are not lazy. That's Carson and Caden again in my, what was the beginning of a garden. But we learn to get lazy pretty quick. It doesn't stay that way, but I don't think it starts that way. And I want to show you some other little kids, some kids that I know and some of my family knows. We know those people, do we not? To the left, my brother, Ted, my cousin, Jimmy, my sister, Luana, my cousin, Debbie, and that guy standing there as proud as he can be with his little belly sticking out, that would be me, Rick. <laughs> and that sweet lady behind there, that's my grandmother. I told you this would be personal. But not boring. That's all I promise. <laughs> I don't think so. And I know what I was thinking. That was a long, long time ago. I still know exactly what was in my mind. And what was in my mind is, I know it's Easter Sunday. we got to stand here and get our picture taken. But there's a, a co homemade coconut pie in there on that little table in that little house. And one of those slices of pie has my name on it. Let's get this over with. I still remember that's what I thought. My, my grandmother made some really good coconut pie, and I loved her to death. I want to tell her a little about her as well. Her name was Nora Williams. She was born a Williams. She married a Williams. In Texas and Arkansas, there are Williamses everywhere. Uh, but there she is. The story I want to tell about her, well, one, just a funny one of what she had to put up with. But we would go stay with her 
in the summertime, sometimes a week or two at a time. And it might be our family, it might be Debbie's family altogether, at least a week. And she had kids everywhere. Now, how does a little nearly 70-year-old lady handle that? She did. I remember one time she would entertain us with different things. And one thing, simple, uh, one time when my brother, my sister, and I, I think it was just three of us, were there. We were fishing for crawdads out in the front yard. And the little bar ditch would fill with water, and the crawdads would build their little mud, you know, dams or whatever, tunnels, and we're sitting there fishing for crawdads. And, and I got one out of there, big old red one, big old pinchers. And, you know, crawfish always back up. And this one backed up under my little brother's rear end. And he's sitting there like that and had the little shorts down. And I saw it, but I'm just fascinated. I'm not worried. I'm fascinated. He reached up and he grabbed them little pair of shorts. And my brother felt that tug on his shorts. Yes. And he looked down and saw that big red pincher thing and went berserk. And, and I'm still just laughing. I'm having a good time. This is one of the best days of my life. My grandmother, bless her heart, Nora Williams, that sweet lady right there, she chased him down. How she did that, I don't know. And she swatted that that crawfish that was hanging on those shorts and saved him from sheer terror. Uh, But she did so many things for us, and she was patient. She never spanked me. She didn't have to. She could probably just tell me, and I would do what she said. But uh, she not only loved her little grandchildren, that's very natural. We love our grandchildren. But I think she went the extra mile. One other thing I'll say, after two or three weeks, and uh, not two or three weeks, I don't think we ever stayed that, not three, two weeks, I believe, and that's a long time, and my mother would come and pick us up, or my mother and dad, and when we would get in that old Chevrolet and drive off in 1960, 61, tears would be coming down her face because her little grandchildren are going to Arlington, Texas, a long ways away, and she won't see them for a while. She should have been worn slap out and cheering and clapping. Instead, I could see her with those tears down her face. And, you know, I just said, that woman loves me, and she'll do anything for me. But she also loved other kids that were not connected to her at all. And set a great example. I remember she lived over on Lane Wells. Some of y'all know where Lane Wells Street is. This is a local story. And she lived in a little two-bedroom frame house. She did not have much. And I would go visit her because we were living on the corner of Broadway and Lane Wells, and that was wonderful. And she took me. Uh, she, once I was there one day, she said, Rick, I need you to help me. Here, grab this pot of food, grab this coconut pie. And I said, coconut pie probably. I, I don't remember the exact menu, but we got to take it back here to some people who need it. And so we walked through a hole in her fence and went to the... Uh, to another neighborhood that was, she lived in a fairly low-income neighborhood, but you went through that fence, you were in a low-income neighborhood, and to the first house, I had little single mom, and there were three or four hungry kids, and she fed those kids. She set a good example, and she was a worker, and you know, that's, that's something I could say about my family. They're not perfect, but a whole lot of them are workers, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Scripture says, well, let me find it here. And this is for my grandmother. I'm, I chose this scripture for her. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Then the king replied, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
She could have quoted that scripture by heart. I know she knew it. She knew lots of them. I want to share another story with you. We're doing stories today. Another uh, couple, important people, which is Richard and Barbara Williams. And Barbara Williams is here. My dad passed away a year and three months ago. I'm going to talk about him, but i got to talk about Barbara Nell first. <laughs> because my dad was a hard worker. Some of you all know how hard a worker my dad was. But my mother could, would work beyond him. Because when he got tired, he went to bed and you could hear him snoring all through the house. And she'd be up doing ironing or washing or cooking or writing cards or letters. I thought if we had a show of hands of everybody who has eaten food that my mother cooked or got a card when we were sick or was in a Bible class that she taught or got a visit while you were in the hospital, if we all raised our hands at one time, why don't we do that? Everybody who could say that, raise your hand. Yeah, about half of the congregation. And some of these people hadn't been here long. Your turn is coming. Because I went, we visited Sherry the other day in the hospital. So I'm, you know, I'm going to go visit Sherry. That's a nice thing. Carry my mother with me. And I just go with my face hanging out. And she brings a poem that she wrote for Sherry. Simpson had her knee operated on. And I, I just came. I cannot compete with her. And I'm not sure my dad could either, but I want to tell you a story about my mother. This is just a silly story, but it also shows some of the things she had to put up with. Um, I've got a car picture. There's her picture. Back a few years ago, uh, and this is the car, or one just like it. We didn't find a picture. I told her to look for a picture of that car. I'm sure we have one. 59 Chevrolet Impala station wagon. This is her car. She did all her work in that. Girl Scout leader, room mother, hospital visitor, carry these little kids to church and everywhere else. And I remember one time, though, I got a little bit older, I learned to work. At first, I was so lazy. I remember one time telling my mother, you know, I think if a school teacher cannot teach you everything you need to know in the seven and a half hours they got you each day, she is not much of a teacher. And that was my wisdom at age 10. I thought, I'm tired of homework. I'm already tired of homework, and I don't see any sense in it. So I was not a hard worker at that point. I learned better. I had a best friend who was a hard worker, too. My dad was a hard worker. They were setting these. God has expectations for you, Rick. You don't get to be lazy for long. My mother was taking us to work one day, me and my best friend, because she also had to be the wheels of everybody. And we're, we're about 13, 14 years old, and we have jobs. I was learning to work at all kinds of things. And uh, we're going to the Longview newspaper to our job. Just the two of us in the back seat, and my mother driving this old station wagon. And you know how 13, 14-year-old boys, everything they do is funny. All the funny noises they make. Everything is hilarious, and we're just being 14-year-old boys. And my mother pulls a car off the road. She had had enough. She pulled it off the road. She says, I might have told you all this story before. I don't know. But she stops because she cannot concentrate like that and drive. She turns around and she says, You two boys are the most rude, obnoxious young men I've ever seen in my life. You are uncouth. And we were stunned. We were shocked. And our feelings were hurt for about two seconds. And then we died laughing. <laughs> and we thought, uncouth, what a wonderful word. What a most hilarious word. And you know if my best friend walked in the door and he was here in Bible class about... Six months ago, if he walked in the door and I said, hey, you sorry rascal, you are uncouth, he would still fall out. We never forgot. So she had to put up 
just like my grandmother had to put up with us. She had to put up with us, but she had a world of patience. But she did all the things she had to do for her family and so much more, nonstop, whether she was sick or healthy or a lot of times she wasn't that healthy. But those of you who know her and love her, you know I'm telling the truth. About my mother, I have a verse for her as well. It says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. We are here to do our Master's work. It is not in vain. And He wants us to serve Him because He loved us. We love Him. But I think that verse works for my mother. Now I'm going to, I don't know how much time I have left, but I want to tell you one more story, or at least a couple. And this is about my dad. And y'all probably would have figured I would mention him because he passed away recently, so he's always on our mind. But here's Richard Williams. Now you saw that younger picture. He had some hair back then. Someone the other day said, you know, you look like your dad. And I stopped and I said, that's the first time anyone's ever told me that in my life. So I must be getting older because I've never been told because I always had hair. He didn't have hair. I'm not built like him. I didn't look like him. He's my dad. And the reason I know he's my dad, I told my son Sloan this the other day, Sloan and Slade, is uh, my hands are just like his hands. There's no doubt about it. You could tell that I'm his son, not by any other mark on my body, but my hands were just like his. He had to teach me how to work too. He did. But uh, this guy, he was a hard worker. And I have a verse for him. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. He believed in that. Work as hard as you can. Uh, there's a verse, I, it may be later, I don't remember, but it says, it says uh, Work while still yet day, for night cometh when no man shall work. He believed that too. I, I have to work. I cannot just sit around. I'll fish. I play as hard as I work. You know, the thing I learned from my dad is that work is play, and play is work. And when you get to that point, it is all good. And he was at that point, and I learned that from him. Very important. Uh, these guys right here are some of his legacy. That's my two sons, Son and Slade. He has many more. All we have is boys in our family, everywhere. But those two boys on the end of that uh, set of boards that we were having cut up with a little sawmill, they believe in the things he thought too. They can work hard. And they do work hard. Those two boys are building a company here in town. I can't do much but cheerlead them and sign loans because I don't have the time. But they are hard workers, just like their grandfather sitting there. And we saw him as a great example of that. But here's a picture that I like. The picture down, where is that? Y'all know where that is. Where is it? Sabine River Bridge, Highway 42. I've taken 1,000 pictures down there because I like that place. Uh, and this was just a few months ago, but that's not what that river looked like during the time that I'm about to tell you about because it looked like this. And we moved to Longview, Texas in 1965. This congregation was over on Pine Tree Road, and it had been in existence for about six months. We always tease that my mother said, well, we were late as usual. We got here about six months after. But in the spring of 66, there came a flood. Anybody remember that flood? It was a bad one. My dad liked fish in that river. And I like, well, I've got fish stories I don't have time to tell you. You don't have to sit through that. But 
I'll tell you a better one than that. We had some nets in the river back when it was legal to put nets in the river, and we fished that way. We were rednecks before redneck was a term. And, uh, and so my dad came down to the river with his family on a Sunday afternoon thought, thinking he might better go pull those nets out because the current's going to rip the tree roots loose from what they were anchored to, and he's going to lose his nets. So he came down there. He did not get his nets. When he got there, Mr. Shoemake, who was a janitor at Pine Tree School, was standing on the porch of his house, water already up to the floorboards, and rising. It was coming up. His cows were at risk of drowning, and they were on a little piece of high ground that was now surrounded by a river. They had no way to get off. And in his little riverboat, he went down. Him and my mother and Mr. Shoemake tied ropes to those cows and tugged them, and it was really dangerous as far as drowning to do that, tugged those six cows onto high ground, and it started moving. Ted, do you remember that? Started moving the furniture of this little man or what they could move out of his house to, to save what he could save. Now, his house still filled with water. I'm sure he moved back to the river and cleaned up and went on, but we saved the valuable stuff. He did. I'm just standing on the bank. I'm a little kid. He didn't want me in there to risk my life. But he worked that hard for a man he didn't even know. I knew him because he was a janitor at my school. My dad did not know him. My mother did not know him. It didn't matter. He was in trouble. Oh, I want to back that up one right there. I do not know where that little house is, but it looks just like a little house used to look. I don't know. I'm so nervous. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Every now and then. How silly. Uh that little house looks just like one over in Liberty City, Texas. And my dad met the little lady who lived in a house just like that, and she heated her house with wood. And uh, my dad, who was in his 70s, and this little lady was in her 80s, would go by there, bring her a half quart of wood. And he would come by my shop and say, Rick, I need you to go help me unload this wood. He had already cut it up split it, put it in his truck or trailer. He's 70-something years old, and he goes to this little lady's house, and he gives her that wood for to get through the winter, and then later in the winter, he'll come back, do it again. And he did that for several years, I think until she passed away. And uh, Karen Maines was a friend of this little lady, and she knew that he was doing that for her. And so what I want to tell you is there's work out there for everybody. My dad, as far as I know, Richard Williams, never taught a Bible class. And he was not a Bible class teacher. He taught a lot in other ways. And he taught me a lot in other ways as well. I have a scripture for him. I read it. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And that is the way he knew to work. I have this picture. And that was from my shop a year or two before he died, probably. And uh, about a month before, well, probably two months before he died, he used to weld sign frames for me, and he'd weld a hundred at a time, and he still wanted to work. Because work was fun, and work was play, and play was work, and he wanted to work. And I said, Dad, you have a hundred frames to weld, but there is no hurry. You take a week, you take a month. He could hardly stand at that point. And the next... A day and a half later, he walks in my shop. Son, I got all your hundred frames done. And I said, Dad, uh, 
I told you you had a week, you had a month, you had all the time you wanted. And he said, I said, why did you work so hard? He said, son, that's the only way I know to do it. I'm not sure that we perceive things the way that that generation, really the end of the the greatest generation did, but I appreciate the example that he set. I have one or two more slides for you, and that slideshow of 20-something slides will be passed. So it did go by pretty fast. This picture was taken January the 20th of uh, 2017, a little over a year ago. And I was out on a job in my bucket truck, and my mother called me on the phone and said, Rick, your dad is failing fast. You might want to come by here. And I said, I'll be there, and I'd been there before. He was at home. And so I'm in my bucket truck, and I turned around and said, I'm going to take the picture of this sunset, because this may be the last one of my dad's life. He will not see it. He's inside. He could not get out, and he could not see it. And I took that. So that is Richard's sunset. I have one that has a verse on it. I'm not sure. It says, yeah, the verse I read a while ago, we must work the works of he who sent me for, while it's still day, for night comes when no man shall work. My dad's time was up. It was up that very night. Night was coming, and he was not going to work anymore. He worked until Jan- December the 1st, the last thing he did was haul a load of food down to carrying and sharing, and I helped him load it in his truck and took it down there. Jerry, are you here? Where's Jerry? You remember that, Jerry? Yeah, that was the last thing he did for me. And you know, I've got trailers with no inspection stickers and trucks that won't run and other problems because my dad is not there. And he did all those things for me. But mostly he set a great example of someone who was not wasting his time and was a worker like God would have us to be. Uh, I put this slide up there. Because all of these things, when I'm talking about the service that we do, those that we help, give to, encourage, share with, it's all done out of love. It won't be done any other way. You know, I'm here to try to encourage you. While you have time and your day is still day, do whatever the Lord puts in front of you and do it with all your might. And you know you're not going to do that because some elder in the church or some amateur preacher told you to do it. You're not going to do that. You will do it if you have the love in your heart to do it. That is the only motivation there is. And this is our motivation. And that scripture says, but God demonstrates his own love for us and this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he said, you know, you are my hands, you are my voice, you are my feet, you are my servants. Go and serve. While still day and you have time, you are my servants. Do the work of my kingdom And that's what I'm encouraging you to do today. And I've been encouraged by my family, some of which are here and some of which are gone. But I just want to say, if you are not right with your maker and you're not his child and his servant, none of that applies to you yet. We want to be ready for that night is coming. We saw my dad's coming. We could do that. But that night is coming. We have... A limited amount of time. 
And there are people who need us to share with them, to teach to them, to help them through a hard time, to share the gospel with them. And if you're not in that relationship with the Lord, there's no better time than today. You don't want to put it off. You want to be right with your Creator who loves you and who we love and return that love back. We have elders that will be at the back. We have one that's up here. And uh, if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, there's no better time than now. Come while we stand and sing.